Well, greetings. Um, blessed again with the time and opportunity to share with you what God has put on my heart. Um, God has been teaching me this lesson that we're going to talk about today um, called Hunger and Humility. And um, I think this is probably a cornerstone of the Aero School for Men. Um, humility is this thing that is elusive, and usually we don't want. Um, and we'll get to humility in, in the second part, but we're going to start with hunger. So I want to talk about hunger. So um, you know, there was the Hunger Games, um, the successful book and movie series that came out. Uh, if we think about hungry, I think about my kids always saying, Dad, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. But um, looking at hunger, um, it's not just food. Uh, we can hunger for success. We can hunger for a date. We can hunger for a new possession. Um, hunger is desire. Is another way to say it. What do you want? Um, but I think hunger is a very great indication of what's going on in our heart. And most of the time, we don't ever allow ourselves truly to hunger. And uh, one thing I want to talk about specifically is... I've learned over the years, especially working with um, young men and women, that I cannot tell them anything unless they're really hungry enough and humble enough to learn it. Um, so an example that I'll use is I used to um, work on the parachuting team at the Air Force Academy down at the airfield. Really neat opportunity to uh, do something that was both fun and um and meaningful as you helped these young men and women grow in character and also learn how to work as a team and how to teach a technical skill that's inherently dangerous. But through good training, um, we were able to do it in a very safe manner. Um, so every summer, we would have a bunch of the fourth class cadets who had just become third class cadets, basically the, the freshmen who'd become sophomores. They would go through the jump program. It's called Airmanship 490. And an awesome opportunity for them to gain their wings, their jump wings. They would complete five jumps. And of all those that completed the program, they had the opportunity to try out for the Wings of Green, which was called Airmanship 491 or 492. Well, the Wings of Green was the JV jump team is the simplest way. And um, these young men and women were so earnest. They were so, you would tell them anything because they had no clue. None of them had a background in skydiving, out of jumping out of airplanes, how to pack a parachute, how to safely land one. Eventually, we taught them how to uh, safely teach others how to jump and how to be jump masters, basically the load master that would throw or help guide the, uh, the new students that were going through out of the plane as well. So we gave them a lot of experience over the course of a year, and we gave them uh, confidence and jumps and, and lots of instruction. And the thing that I will always remember about the, the Wings of Green, we call them the WOGs, is that they were so teachable. They were so hungry. Um, you told them any little critique or little tip, hey, you might want to do this, or hey, that's not how we do this. They were very responsive, and they listened. And uh, I'm sure that all the team members that listen to this will get a kick out of this. But as soon as you finished your sophomore year, we call it the three-degree year, your wings of green year, then you became what's called a juju, a junior. And you became part of the team, the parachute team wings of blue. And on the wings of blue, as a junior, 
um, they definitely weren't as teachable as they were when they were wing, uh, Wings of Green. Uh, they still would listen to you every once in a while. You still had to correct them because um, you were the superior officer and stuff like that. But they were not as teachable. And then they became firsties or seniors. And man, they knew everything. And uh, you could not tell them or anything. You could discipline them. You could ground them. You could tell them you're not jumping. You could do stuff like that. But the hunger just wasn't there anymore. And it was hard. And it was actually more gratifying to work with the sophomores, the Wings of Green, than the Jujus and the firsties because they weren't teachable. And then they would graduate. And we were blessed, and I think one of the greatest things that they did down at the airfield is we were blessed every year to have about three to six of the Wings of Blue that had just graduated. So they had just gone from being cadets to being, um, you know, first uh, or second second lieutenant. So basically, we call them butter bars, but they had just taken that oath of office. They'd had a commission. They were entrusted with a lot of responsibility. And they would go away for the summer. They were given their first major leave. They call it 60 days. They basically take leave and they were able to kind of do something different. And then they would come back and they would work down at the airfield while they waited to go to pilot training. And that was probably the most fun where these second lieutenants came back and they realized, oh, I don't know everything. And they once again had both a hunger and a desire to learn and they um, they were testing their strength. They were uh, asking questions. They were getting ready for pilot training. They were teachable once again. And I think that example is one that will always be with me of, I want to be a WOG personally. I want to be a, uh, what you call them the casual lieutenants. Um, and I was a casual lieutenant. When I graduated from the Pershing team, when I was a cadet, I got to stick around and I uh, got to go through that whole process for the, the fall of my, uh, the first fall after I graduated. But for life, I feel a challenge from God to be hungry uh, because in hunger, I learn and I grow and I'm teachable. And, um, and it's interesting when I am hungry, there's usually people, um, especially a bunch of older men that are willing to pour into me and to teach and, I grow in that season and I make a lot of mistakes. Um, a hunger season is, is good. And I want to point out in scripture um, that God had that, um, that season for his, his uh, people as well. So if you'll turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy 8. And one thing I just started realizing as I've been writing out these missions that are posted on the website is, I'm going, to do, I'm going to talk about reading from the paper Bible. Um, I'm not against um, people having the Bible on their phone. I personally do, and I think it's a great uh, resource to have. And man, I use my search engines to help me find scriptures quickly and stuff like that. But I think there is something very valuable about having the Word of God that is written out, that's not dependent upon Wi-Fi. Um, and in a way, I can put um, bookmarks easier I can underline things. I can cross-reference a little bit simpler. And, and there's just something that's to it. Um, I can't even tell you exactly about the paper Bible. So you're going to notice in some of the missions, I talk about paper Bible. I challenge you to get a good paper Bible. So I want to read um, from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So every commandment which I command you today, 
you must be very careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your forefathers. So this is Moses speaking on behalf of God to the children of Israel. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, so I want to stop right there. So these, this is occurring after the children of Israel have sinned, they've grumbled, they've complained. We'll talk about that some other time. But all of them that grumbled and complained died in the wilderness. And now this is the next generation. And so Moses is talking to them. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, the question, if we go back to the garden was, didn't God already know what was in their heart? Yes, he's all knowing. What is he really saying here? For you to know, O Israelites, what's in your heart. So he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And he goes on and on and basically says, if you forget me, if you forget that I'm the one who creates the ability or has given you the ability to create wealth, it will not go well for you. And yet the Lord in his mercy allowed them to hunger. And I think that's, if anything, I want to just reiterate that one. Um, verse two, and you shall remember the Lord, your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. And do you see this humble, this humility and hunger are so tied together. You really can't have one without the other. So in this instance, the Lord did it, right? He caused them only to eat manna. He caused them to, um, to need him constantly. He gave them water. He gave them manna. He eventually gave them meat. Um, and he sustained them those 40 years. Now, they went around in circles. And it wasn't very satisfying, but it was just enough. He was their portion. And then if you'll notice that Jesus alludes to this verse later when he's dealing with Satan. The man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so much of the focus is upon God and the fear of the Lord that you, in verse six, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And so when we talk about hunger, what is hunger? Well, hunger opens the eyes of our heart. Um, so I don't know if any of you have ever fasted before, um, but when you fast, you start to realize what you crave. And then eventually, once your body detoxifies, then you start to realize what you really need. Um, but if you go off of, um, let's say you do a sugar fast, um, so you say, I'm not going to do any refined sugar or anything sweet. So if you do that for like a day or two, this first day or two, your body just craves it. It screams for it. It's like everything, all you can think about is a cookie or an ice cream or something like that. 
But once you get a little further, once you get to day to three or four, you start to realize, oh, you know, I feel a little bit better. Oh, this is a little bit better. And then your body actually starts to hunger for for good nutrients and for true food. And it's a little bit easier um, those next few days. But what does it do? Hunger opens up our the ears of our heart. Um, our need brings us or compels us. And if you can think of a time in your life where you've hungered, not just for food, uh, have you hungered for glory? Have you hungered for a relationship? Have you hungered for a position? Um, I hungered to get into um, you know, the Air Force Academy. Um, something that drove me a desire. Hunger is good. Um, and our bodies were actually designed to hunger. And we actually can see it better with other animals than we even with ourselves. Um, Here's an example. We have a cat, um, which we um, have named Chubby, uh, because when she was a kitten, uh, she was like twice as big as all the other siblings. Uh, she definitely didn't go without a meal. Um, but during the summer, uh, we live down here where it's really hot down here in Texas. And uh, every summer, she actually gets really skinny. And my wife took her into the vet and was asking the vet, I was like, does she have worms? Does she have any problem? The vet said, nope, she's completely healthy. Everything's good. And then interestingly, in the fall, she starts to gain more weight. And she puts on, you know, that winter coat and she gains weight and she's able to deal with the cold. And then next summer comes and she's thin as, you know, as can be. But in doing so, and like with a dog, a dog, when they're sick, they don't eat. Or a dog usually knows how much they need to eat or not. And sadly, as humans, we are so into this consuming and eating and everything. Like, think about when was the last time you were truly hungry? Um, one of the things that they uh, do in the military um, is they teach us survival uh, training. And I remember survival training we did up in the woods um, up behind the academy and, uh, they would give us very minimal food, um, enough to survive, but you weren't enjoying it, um, for about four or five days. And then, um, by the end, um, I remember, you know, your, your stomach had shrunk a little bit and all you could think about was pizza. And we also, all we had to talk about is what, what food we were going to eat when we got back. And then we made it that last night we were evading and uh, we got in like really early in the morning, probably about four or 5 a.m. Uh, we reached the site and they had tons of food. And I remember just gorging myself on food. I still remember these, uh, these uh, muffins. And, uh, and afterwards I ate so much and my body had so not had shrunk, the stomach had shrunk and it wasn't able to deal with it that I felt terrible and could not sleep. And I actually felt better when I had gone without some food. And another thing with hunger is it shows us our weakness. It shows us um, where we need help. And I'll give an example a little bit later. Um, I can do it now. So uh, as men, usually we don't want to ask anyone for help. And uh, amazingly this morning, uh, God in his um, perfect providence provided an example for me to be frustrated in two of my most common ways of being frustrated or doing two of the things that I least like. Uh, the first was um, 
I hate not getting access to computer programs or getting locked out or the password doesn't work or something doesn't happen. That It, it just it frustrates me. I get disappointed. Um, I don't have enough patience. God's still growing me in that area. And uh, so this morning, my kids were trying to log on to something on the computer and it wasn't working. And then I tried with my phone. It wasn't working. And and I just, in those moments, I want to ask someone for help. Um, but until that point, I'm usually, I can figure out anything and I, I don't need anyone. Well, the second thing that usually frustrates me in one of my, uh, probably one of my weakest areas is ceiling fans. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, you guys are going to chuckle out of this, but if you want to know, um, how patient or persevering you are, try to go install a ceiling fan or fix a ceiling fan by yourself. Um, just they're, they're not light. Um, they usually weigh about five, 10, maybe 15 pounds, depending upon the size of them. And they're mounted in such a way that you have to attach the electrical wires and your screws and everything to the ceiling. And yet you have to hold it at the same time. And, uh, the first time I ever really fixed a ceiling fan, we had a high vaulted ceiling and I was, uh, we were getting ready to sell a house and I needed to fix it. And it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And, uh, you can ask my wife, she now says that I need to tell her before ever I'd even touch a ceiling fan and she's going to come and pray for me before I start that. But ceiling fans, um, they are just, uh, kind of my nemesis. Well, guess what? Of all days today, my uh, daughter comes down and says, Dad, remember you said you were going to help me with my ceiling fan? And I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So I went upstairs and and um, I prayed before I started, which was good. And usually I forget to do that. But I was like, no, God, give me the ability to deal with this. And uh, this ceiling fan has acted up before. And I wisely, last time, invited a friend uh, who's more mechanically minded than I am. And he's been... Uh, maintainer on airplanes before and cars and he's a pilot and he's done lots of different things. So he came over and, um, and so we did it together and it was easy. And uh, we were actually, I had bought another ceiling fan to replace it. And then ended up fixed, uh, ended up that we were able just to fix the one we currently had. So today I was like, Oh no. So I go up and um, I'm like, well, I think I can do this. And I prayed about it and everything. So I get up on the step stool and I'm working on the ladder. And uh, I check all the connections. I've got it. I'm holding the, the probably 10 or 15 pounds just suspended. And my arms are getting a little bit tired, but well, I'm working out and everything. And then I go to put and reattach it. And um, it won't um, move back onto the screws it's supposed to. And so I try it and I move something. So instead of using two arms to hold the ceiling fan, of course, I'm just holding with one and I'm up trying to reach and move everything else and getting frustrated. And, and it, it seems like I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't get it. And in desperation, I call out to my daughter who's on the other side of the house in the kitchen, Kaziah, please come help now. And uh, thankfully she runs over and I'm like, Kaziah, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but can you see what's causing this so that I can't push this thing all the way up? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's this thing right here. And I said, can you move it? And so she moved it, and I was able to uh, to get to reattach. And I don't even know what I did, but the ceiling fan worked after that. But in that calling out, there was a hunger. There was a need. There was a, I am insufficient. I could not do it. 
And as men, many times we adopt a, I'm He-Man, I can do everything. And um, I'm reading a book by um, Morgan Snyder called Becoming a King, and he talks about the same thing of like, I'm going to be stronger than my dad because my dad wasn't strong enough. Or like for me, uh, the lie that I believed many times was that I just need to, no one's going else going to provide for me, so I got to take care of myself. And I read a book, um, Boys in a Boat, and Joe Rance, he was a, a rower in the 1936 Olympic gold medal crew team from the University of Washington, and he had the same thing. And many of us men, depending upon what wounds or just even how we were raised, we, we come up with the, I have to be able to do it all by myself. And today, I couldn't. And it wasn't just that I needed another man to help me. I needed my daughter, who is smart, you know, intelligent, able to see, you know, she's a little mechanically inclined. I was like, I needed her outside perspective. I needed her help. And I was in hunger today and uh, I needed her and it's good. So the question I pose to you, kind of the practical, because we talk about practical man training is what frustrates you? Can you think of two or three things right now that if you had to do that again, if it was log on to some account that you've been locked out of or uh, this thing that you can never troubleshoot or installing a ceiling fan if you were me, um, if you can think of something, what frustrates you? And in that, have you ever thought that the Lord is showing you an insight into your heart? He's showing you, oh, that I can't do it all, that I have a hunger and I have a need of help, that I need others to come alongside me, or I might need advice. And, and this goes back to the, the Wings of Green. Those brand new, they only have five jumps. They have no clue. And it's very scary what they're about to do because we don't just drop them out at 4,500 feet by the ground. We take them all the way up to about 11,000 feet. So they're even higher and it's more complicated. And because of that, they have a hunger and they have a willing to listen. So that hunger shows and leads us to humility. And um, a quote about humility that I like is, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So many times uh, people say, you know, they, they actually practice false humility. So they say, oh, I'm not very good at that. I, I could never, I could never do this. I could, I could never write a story or I could never fix anything. That's false humility. And that's not true. Um, humility, in my own definition, is just of, of being truthful. And truth is only in relation to who God is. So the humility is, is I am able to fix many things. I'm not able to fix all things, and I get extremely frustrated with ceiling fans. Uh, the truth is that I am a good pilot. I've been flying airplanes for almost 16 years. I've made many mistakes, and from them I've learned a lot. And uh, I've flown many different types of airplanes and many different types of environments for different missions, everything like that. But the truth is, is I am a good pilot. Um, I'm a good father, not a perfect one. Um, I'm growing in um, learning how not to control. Uh, my natural thing is I want to be in control, and I'm learning that. 
But all those things are, are, are myself, my own self-assessment of where I'm at. And really, God doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to be mature, and he is conforming us to the image of Christ. It says that in Romans 8, 29, that Jesus is the firstborn son, and God is calling us and bringing us into sonship, and he's conforming us. He's making us into the image of Christ. And if we look at Christ, one of my favorite passages about Christ and talking about humility is Philippians 2. So once again, I'm going to go to my paper Bible. And Philippians 2, verses uh, 5 through 11 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So it's exactly the same concept of we see Jesus and we're going to imitate him. And we're going to train and conform ourselves to his image. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So in humility, he was equal with God. Period dot. Verse seven, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue could sh- should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there's a lot right here. So let's just start at the beginning. We talked about, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Basically saying, Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul, take your mind and conform it to Christ's mind. Have the mind of Christ approach life. He's not just saying once we get to heaven. He says, now approach, train your mind, hone your mind to the mind of Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Train your mind to this son of God that was equal with God. It says he made himself. So it's a choice. He wasn't compelled. God didn't say you have to. He said he made himself. And that is one of the things of learning to grow in self-control and a sound mind is self-mastery. Not for the sake of our own glory, but for God's glory. And that's what Jesus did. He made himself to the glory of God the Father. That's the last verse. It says that all these things, they gave glory to God the Father because the Son was obedient to the point of death and he humbled himself. Therefore, God both glorified the Son, but the Son glorified the Father. And so verse 7, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men. So he actively made a choice saying, I'm not just going to stay in heaven. I'm not just going to stay on my throne up here, but out of love, out of providing and protecting spiritually, emotionally, and physically, I'm going to go to this earth because I see that my creation, the, the thing that my father and the Holy Spirit myself, what we made has fallen into sin. And therefore I am going to go and rescue I'm going to go provide. I'm going to go and protect. I'm going to go and give my life. And so look what we see of how he humbled himself and being found in appearance as a man. So he looked like a man. He was a man. He humbled himself. 
So he didn't act like God. He was God. He didn't even have to ask anyone if he was God. He just knew he was. He be, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. He put himself into our position. He took on our sins. He came and was numbered with the transgressors. He took on our sins. And in doing that, God has exalted him. God has given the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue could should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in doing that, he thought less about himself. He abandoned his own safety. We love that. In every movie, when we see, whether it's Saving Private Ryan or we just watched The Longest Day, it was a story about D-Day that was filmed back in the 60s, I think. But in it, we love the the person who says who just kind of abandons everything and says i'm going to i'm going to take one for the team i'm going to jump on this grenade or i'm going to charge this in order that the person behind me doesn't have to and when we do that we're walking in christ cuz christ left his perfect not just position but he he left that fellowship he left the the glory of being in heaven he left the um, the comfort, the security. He left all those things to rescue and save mankind. And he thought of himself less. He didn't, he didn't throw away his godhood, but he said, I'm not going to let that be how I judge myself. And so humility is this thing that for us, um, it's elusive and usually, and I am hesitant to pray for it. I have prayed for humility many times in my life and it's, it's a mess when you do. Um, and at times I feel like God's given me enough grace to walk through it. And at times it feels like there's, there's not enough, but I want to read you something that I wrote to my son Zion a long time ago. Um, Zion was just a young um, boy, he was probably three or four at this time. And I started to realize that there were a lot of things that I wanted to write down to capture just in case I wasn't there. Uh, so let me read something I wrote to him. I think I wrote this back in like 2014. So Zion, one of the greatest lessons I have and am continuing to learn is humility. Humility is a full understanding that I am completely weak, poor, lost, and doomed apart from God. And it is alone by his mercy and grace that I live. And so this is going back to the whole wings of green with the JV jump team. They know that they don't know very little or that they don't know very much. They know that they're lost, that they could kill themselves if they don't pay attention to the instruction that I'm provide them as a, as a jump instructor. But in the same way, and even in a more true way, for us, humility is a full understanding that I am completely weak, poor, lost, and doomed apart from God, and it is alone by His mercy and grace that I live. Having grown up in the United States, having lived the American dream in the, some quotation marks, I put myself through the Air Force Academy. 
ah, and so on, I thought I could do anything that I set my mind, will, and strength to. Now I am learning otherwise. God is faithful to again and again show me that I need him. I used to think that I could do anything. I could be anybody. And God in his mercy has showed me that I can't. I have failed so many times. Um, one of the stories that's that's in here um, is my freshman year um, as uh, playing football for Coach Bev, who's on the um, the program last last episode. Um, well, I'll just read. This is what I wrote to Zion. Since you've always loved stories, I'll start back in high school when I was first playing football. As a freshman, I was the starting Sam or strong side linebacker on defense and the starting tight end on offense. I was slightly above average on a freshman football team that was decently talented. Yearning to make a name for myself, I thought I could do anything, I dedicated myself to the off-season conditioning program ran by Coach Beverlin, the head coach that started in January of each year. My body matured even more and my strength and muscles grew. I was already six feet tall by that time, and to all the coaches, I looked ready to play at the next level. The summer started and we went off to football camp at Eastern Washington University, a college my father had attended long ago. I fell into a groove and competed and pushed myself hard. Over the summer, I was singularly focused. So this is, this is I want you to pay attention to the singular focus. This was a focus on me. This wasn't for the good of the team. I wish I could say it was. No, it was all about me. It was singularly focused on me. And so I was definitely not just the, I was so prideful. And that is the opposite of humility is pride. So in pride, I was growing myself. This is what I read. This isn't what's written, but this is just explaining. I was just growing my pride, growing my body, growing my strength. And there were some good things that the Lord has redeemed from all that. But so much of it was just for me. Over the summer, I was singularly focused on conditioning. I spent four to five hours a day working out, hitting two conditioning sessions each day when only one was required. All this caught the attention of the coaches, which was my intent. Even more so that when the beginning of football season rolled around, I was the first sophomore to gain a starting position on varsity. And as I played special teams. Have you noticed not one mention of God? So the season started. I was on cloud nine. Even a senior girl whose boyfriend started on defense noticed I was playing varsity as a sophomore. I was big stuff. And so going into our second game of the season, I was starting on special teams and was the first backup to our star, def uh, star defensive end. As we played our toughest rivals, the Richland Bombers. I can remember that game as if it was yesterday. We received the kickoff and that starting defensive end uh, had helped our special teams make an amazing return. As he was running off the field, another guy gave him a sound pat, uh, hit on the back, just kind of congratulating him, to congratulate him. But the star defensive end ended up falling down and dislocated his elbow badly. And that quickly, I went, and then quickly, I went from being a defensive end backup to being our starting defensive end. And I'll add versus our rivals, crosstown rivals, the Richland Bombers. Crazy and exciting, I ran out on the field within uh, within minutes and fought hard against Richland. 
All I remember from that game was being in the trenches. I think I broke my finger that game as well. We ended up being two, uh, losing 2-7 to seven in a hard-fought defensive battle. In doing research for this story, I realized that it's still the lowest scoring game between the two, skill, uh, two schools in the 45 times the two teams have played each other since 1971. So I did okay in that game and remained the starting defensive end for another couple of games. I was big time now and was even asked to the Sadie Hawkins dance by um, a gal who is the sister of our star running back uh, as well. However, I was starting to have problems with my left knee and was starting not to play so well. Eventually, I lost my starting job and was back to playing on junior varsity. So my glory days came and went in an instant. I tried my hardest every practice, but it wasn't enough to get back on varsity and even our star defensive and eventually our star defensive and his elbow healed and he got his starting job back. I thought I controlled my destiny, but in the end I was powerless, not as strong or as good as I thought I was, unable to force the coach's hands to play me. And uh, the story goes on and on and the, the road of humility, um, has been one that I've been on for many years. And um, over the next mini podcast, I'll share more and more times that the Lord showed me, hey, Zach, you you are not all powerful. Um, You are weak. Um, You are frail. Um, Even this last week, I um, uncharacteristically, I got uh, like a 24-hour stomach bug and um, was just kind of out of it. And... And we sh- should really thank God for those times, because if if we can, and we'll get to the practical step in just a second, if we can, then there is a favor that falls on us when we realize that we don't have it all. And uh, even in starting this whole Aero School for Men, that's one of the things the Lord is, is challenging me is to not to do this in pride. In pride, I want to make a name for myself. In pride, I want this to be successful. In pride, I want people to think highly of me. And the Lord says, don't do it for that reason, Zach. Do it in obedience to me. Put your focus and your thoughts on me. And that's what's going to lead us into the practical part. So what what can you practically do to grow in hunger and humility? To not just feed your pride, which is naturally... Um, like a cancer, it wants to grow and it wants to destroy you. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So what can you practically do? The first thing is you can allow yourself to hunger. I haven't built a mission for this yet, but I will. But if you've never fasted a meal, fast a meal, which means don't eat it. Let your body talk back to you a little bit and say, oh, oh, that's interesting. Um, fast a meal. Uh, one of the things that I do, and I actually sleep better and I feel healthier if I do this. Um, and for me, that you know, it actually helps me stay a little trim too, is I, I make it my aim most days of the week to not eat anything after dinner. And my body, I just naturally, I'm a guy, I like to eat. I like to eat all the time. But if I'll have the discipline to not eat after dinner, it gives my body at least 12 to 14 hours of rest for it to actually eat through and digest all the food that's in my stomach. 
and I don't put on extra pounds. Um, I actually sleep a lot better. I wake up in a much better mindset um, because a lot of people will talk about that the that your gut, your stomach is your second brain. Um, so if I don't overload it, if I allow it to hunger, it actually my body is healthier. Um, now, if you are like 16 or 17 and you're growing and you're actively playing football right now, you probably can't get away with this. You're, you're going to have to eat all the time. But maybe once the football season's over, allow yourself to hunger. Maybe if you're on a break, say, hey, I'm not going to eat sugar for three, five days. Let your body hunger and start to realize, just like God said, he allowed them to hunger. He humbled them, allowed them to hunger. Let your body see what it's like to go without something. And I talk about the physical, um, indeed. But let's talk about something a little bit different, maybe emotional, maybe more mental. But have you ever gone off social media for three days? Or the news is something that I have to, from time to time, I just feel like God just... He just kind of puts it on my heart that I need to, I'm too addicted to my phone. And so I will um, take a break and um, for a week, I just won't, I won't do that. Um, I'll just say, nope, I can use my phone uh, if I need to call someone, if I need to text someone, um, if I need to use a calculator, that's fine. But I'm not going to look at the internet at all. And guess what? I'm usually fine at the end of it. And if someone really needs to show me something or tell me something, I'll either hear it from my wife or someone else, or God can impress it upon me if I really need to get on. But for the most part, um, I found that's very beneficial from time to time to take a week-long fast from the news or from social media. And in those times, whenever I do hunger or whenever I do want to turn to that thing, people call them the comforts or just something that feels good or something even to, to fill me up. If I'll take that and put my eyes on God and say, thank you, Lord, for my family. Um, that's the that's one of the missions. That's the second mission is talking about thankfulness, making a list of 30 things. If every time that you're hungry, let's say you choose to fast food for an entire day. So when you wake up in the morning and the first time that you think about eating, you're like, oh, I'm going to be thankful for something. My body has plenty of calories. I don't need food today. I'm going to let it hunger. I'm going to kind of test what Zach is saying, see what this feels like. You're not going to die. Drink water, but but you're not going to die if you don't eat food for a day. But you, you, you go through breakfast and you're like, okay, God, thank you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And you spend that uh, the same time, maybe that 10 minutes, five minutes you would have spent eating, reading God's word, filling your body with spiritual food. Okay, so you're going to eat that spiritual food, and then about 11, you're going to get really hungry. Well, say, God, who should I pray for today? And pray for your parents. Pray for a friend. Pray for your wife or your future spouse. Um, We'll get into that at some other point as well, but that's an amazing thing. If you are not married right now, especially even if you're not even dating, pray for your future wife. It is an amazing thing. Pray for her purity. Pray for her mind. Pray for her health. Pray for her spirit that God would grow her, prepare her, save her for you. Um, but while you're doing that, you know, and then the eventually the hunger pains will go away a little bit. And then by about one or two, you're going to be really hungry. 
and then say, God, I'm just going to thank you that uh, you have given me so much food that I live in a in a place in a country where there is plenty of food that you know uh, that I never go for a want. Um, thank him, and then maybe go do something. Um, maybe go work out or go serve somebody. We'll talk about that in the humility part. And and then you know when you get to four or five and dinner time, your body's going to scream. And just once again, fill it with the word. Memorize, and this is going back to the, the first mission, that passage of scripture, memorize it. Just go over it over and over and over because God's word is truth. It's like the perfect medicine for our souls, for our spirit, for our bodies. It's, it's, it's everything. And uh, I think as the church, we have neglected um, spiritual food. And it's not just enough to listen to a sermon or not just enough just to listen to me talk right now. This is good, but even better is the true word of God. And so if you will just eat that as if you would eat something, and then when you wake up the next day, you are going to be hungry, but your body's going to feel actually pretty good. And especially if you did this for multiple days, people do. Um, I've done Daniel fasts before where you just... Uh, you eat um, fruits and vegetables, um, but no meat and no other good refined thing. And um, and it, it's healthy. It's good to do every once in a while just for your physical health. But this is good for your spiritual and your emotional health of sometimes telling yourself no. Um, I know Dave Ramsey does this a lot with um, the Financial Peace University and just of all his things of there is something good about telling yourself no, of saying, I don't need to eat that. I don't need to buy that. I don't need to do that. Uh, it's something I work with all the ADT, um, the Adventure Disciples to Train the Young Men I work with at my church. And one of the things I talk about is you are not an animal. The world will tell you that you're an animal, but that's only because they don't fear God. Um, you are different. You were created with a spirit and, and you have a soul. And, um, and because of that, we are eternal. Now, an animal, God might have animals in heaven, but the main thing is they only can act off of instinct. So when an animal is hungry and sees food, it is going to eat the food. But you as a man do not have to eat that food. You can choose whether or not to eat it. And if you can learn to control yourself in the area of food, it carries over to other ways. So this is the same thing. It's a, it's a, it's a fairly graphic example, but I think it's appropriate. So if you think about a dog, a male dog sees a female dog, and the male dog says, that female dog's in heat, I'm going to do her. Period. Dot. There's no thought. There's no self-control. There's no, the only way that we can stop them from doing that is if we put a wall up between them. He is going to impregnate that female dog. Now, the world is going to tell you that you're just an animal and you just need to act off your instinct, but that is a lie. God has given us a spirit of love and power and self-control, a sound mind, the mind of Christ. And therefore, you can have self-control and say, I'm not going to do that woman, or I'm not going to, in my mind, do that woman. I'm going to have self-control. I'm going to tell myself, no, I'm going to save my mind for my wife 
or if I'm not married for my future wife, and I'm going to honor that woman and not just see her as an object, but I'm going to see her as a creation of God. So you see how letting yourself hunger and telling yourself no in one area then starts to enable you to tell yourself no in other areas. And maybe, yes, I'm going to start memorizing God's word. I'm going to choose to be thankful. So those are some practical things you can do. Fast a meal, fast sugar, don't eat after dinner, go maybe a couple days without eating, um, drink water. Fast social media for um, three days a week. Uh, fast the news. Um, find something else. Um, I know people do sugar fast, media fasts. Um, I'm sure there are tons of other ones, but deny yourself. Um, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. And so that's practically how to allow yourself to hunger. Now, choosing to walk in humility. Um, I want to point out as a passage of scripture talks about uh, James, the brother of John. In James 4, 7 through 10, it talks about humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord. And so I'll get my paper Bible out again. And in this passage, James is, is basically saying that there's a lot of pride. And he says, why are there wars? Why do fights and wars come from you? because you're prideful. And at the end, this is what he says. Uh, in verse six, we'll start there. But he gives more grace. I'm talking, implying God. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this is what I was talking to you earlier. When, when you humble yourself, there is a favor that is there. And, and it's not a, I'm going to take over the world favor. There is a, God dwells with you favor. He comes and meets with you. Um, that, that year that I, I went from being varsity to being JV and my attitude got real bad and my, my body wasn't holding up very well. My parents in, in wisdom said they, I couldn't play football anymore. So my junior year, I didn't play football. And in a way, that was a hunger. That was a humility as well, because this thing that had become a God to me, football became so important. Um, and it's all I thought about it because it was what I was using to help me be a man, um, to help me just know that I was okay, that I was important and the world affirmed me and then it didn't affirm me and it, and it ruined me when it didn't affirm me, but I still wanted to go back out there and prove to the world that I was a man. Well, my parents, they took that away. And in doing that, I really hungered. But in that hunger, the Lord showed me something better. And in that year, I really grew in relationship um, with a dear friend, Drew Barker, uh, who'd actually gone through an interesting thing his junior year. Uh, so I wasn't playing football and Drew, a phenomenal uh, gymnast. He actually went on to be uh, a intercollegiate uh, gymnast at the Naval Academy. He dislocated his elbow um, and was out for a lot of the year as well. And so that junior year, God provided, um, and I feel just part of the favor, he provided me a dear friend. And Drew and I could relate on that these things that were so important to him, the gymnastics, he'd been doing gymnastics for that point for like 12 or 13 years. And he was in the Junior Olympics and, you know, was had a dream of going to the Olympics and everything. 
And so that got taken away from him for a season. And for me, football, I thought was being permanently taken away from me. And in that hunger, God provided for each of us a friendship and we grew as men and God grew a lot of other ideas and things that we did. And, and we had lots of amazing conversations and, and we grew in other areas. And the main thing is I just say that God's favor was on us um, as he'd humbled both of us. But I want to point out the next part of James 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when we are humble, it's pretty much driving the devil away. So if you want to get closer to God, just become humble. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. This is once again being truthful with yourself. The truth is that we are sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, I want to get to verse 10, but I want to start in verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. And this is one thing that um, my wife's uncle, Uncle Char, he says so many times, one of the things that God's really taught him is we're very hesitant to mourn our sin. We'll say real quick, oh, God, forgive me for doing that mean thing or stealing or lying or that sexual immorality. We'll, we'll, we'll ask for forgiveness. But there is something about mourning your sin, lament and mourn and weep, and actually saying, God, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I was so prideful back in high school that I was so you know, and this is a practical step you can take. Just spend five or 10 minutes right here, just, just confessing your sins and be sad for them saying, God, I am so sorry that I, um, that I can, that I, I let football become a God that I, that I shunned what you thought of me or what you said about me or what, that you cared about me, that I tried to build my own kingdom that I tried to be like the, the people at Babylon when I tried to build my own uh, Tower of Babel. Lord, I'm so sorry that I um, missed out on being in relationship with you. And I, I mourn that sin. I grieve that I hurt you. I grieve that I hurt my wife and my children when I am impatient with them and I'm controlling. I am sad, Lord, that uh, my mind... Um, is so prone to impure thoughts. Lord, I am saddened by um, thinking I don't need you and and um, not being thankful. I'm saddened by how much I complain, Lord. And in that, in that humility right there, it gets our hearts in a right place to then move into the next part. Because it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Recognize your true state before him. And this is, I would say, if anyone wanted a solution to what's happening in America right now, this is it right here. If we would all humble ourselves before God and recognize that we need to fear him, that there is a God that is in heaven. And that we are imperfect people. The news shows us every day. It doesn't matter if it's 2020 or 2016 or 1945. In every day, 
we can look and say, God, we are so weak. We are so powerless. Um, If it wasn't for your favor, we'd be destroyed or we would destroy ourselves. When we humble ourselves and say, God, I'm going to put my attention on you. Do you see what he says at the end? He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And so many of us men, we think we need to take care of ourselves. And the challenge is to say, no, I'm going to be the man that God has called me to be. I'm going to respond to his calling on my life. And in doing so, I'm going to trust God with the outcome. It puts all the control in the hands of God and makes us be obedient. And in doing so, we set our eyes on God and we start to grow in a fear of him. And Solomon is described as the wisest man that ever lived uh, besides Jesus, who is wisdom. Just Jesus is wisdom. So Solomon had the most wisdom of a man, but Jesus is wisdom. If you look at Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, And, and this is a great place to, if you want to just kind of get a big picture of, of, of what's going on in the world and understand the big thing, you realize that none of this is new. All the stuff that's happening in the news, none of it's new under the sun. So part of that should give us uh, hope because we don't need to freak out because things are been bad and they get good and they get bad again. But more importantly is that God is on his throne. And at the end of this, For all Solomon's wisdom, he says in verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So he's saying the last 12 chapters, I'm going to wrap it up in a real little, nice little package for you. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And it, and it matches what it says in James. Humble yourself in the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, when's he going to lift you up? He might not lift you up until heaven, but it says he will. It's, there's no, he might. He says he will. And God cannot lie. So if he says something, he's going to do it. So if we humble ourselves in the side of the Lord, he will lift us up. Fear God and keep his commandments. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if, if every man and woman, but I'm particularly just focused on men because I feel that's where the Lord has really called me to, to focus. If we will fear the Lord, we'll realize, and if we'll put our attention and, and take our thoughts off of ourselves. Remember I told you I was so selfish when I was working out four to five hours a day. There was no, I'm going to make the team better. It was about, I am going to make me better and I'm going to make myself look better. The attention was on myself. But when I praise God, when I memorize the scripture, when I fear God, I put my my eyes, my thoughts, my gaze upon God. And as I focus on him, there is just a humility because I see how great and how powerful and strong and awesome he is. And I see how small I am. And that's good. So how practically do you grow and choose to walk in humility? Well, my first mission, 
So you look on the website, memorize a passage of scripture. I recommend you start with Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. It's one I have the young men in ADT memorize. Um, So I don't want to give away what it is, but it is good. And it talks about the heart because God is at what's in our heart that that, that counts. Um, So memorize a passage of scripture that will put your eyes on God and not on yourself. Praise and exalt God and be thankful. Um, I haven't written this mission yet, but it's in one of the articles, praising him and exalting him, a practical way to, to protect and provide spiritually. When we praise and exalt the name of Jesus, we set God on the throne of our hearts. We recognize that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We thank God for the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that has been sent to our hearts to guide us and to help us understand the word and how to walk and to to walk according to the spirit is what it says in Romans 8 over and over and over. But all these things, you know, their focus, are they on me? No, they're on God. And so when we put our focus on him, it's amazing what happens and we become more humble and we start to have his favor. Go serve someone else. So if you are being... Um, having a pity party of any time, or you just know, hey, I'm thinking about myself all the time, go serve someone else. If you have a wife, go serve her. Go find something. Um, This whole project of me doing the Aero School for Men is God's work in my own heart. He is working out all this junk And so in the natural, I'm always like, I need more time. I need more time if I'm going to get these podcasts or all these different things. And yet yesterday I felt the challenge of God to say, let's do everything backwards today, Zach. You go ask your wife what she needs help with. And so I asked her and she needed lots of help. And then I made a point to do something with each one of my children yesterday, to engage with them, to play with them, to talk with them. And I just put my family first because the old Zach would say, I'm trying to build a name for myself with Aero School for Men. And so therefore I need to have everything perfect and I need to take care of myself. And God is just so against that. He's more like, no, you go love your family, Zach. You go love your wife. You go love your children. You go love everyone else. And I'll take care of you. And and yesterday, it just worked out. I was able to write all these missions. And today, God's provided the time. And God, over and over and over, just shows me, go serve someone else. Go love someone else. And I'll take care of you. And um, yeah, the, basic, the largest example of this is in the Air Force as an officer, we have this um, training. It's called Squadron Officer School, called SOS. I know it's an interesting acronym, but but it's SOS. And uh, as a captain, uh, you go to this, and it's this time that you get graded compared to all your peers. So, of course, the self-serving, take care of myself, Zach, um, was like, I'm going to go to this thing, and I'm going to win at this thing, and I'm going to win, which is becoming what's called Distinguished Graduate. Now, when you become a distinguished graduate, basically they say, compared with all the other 500 people that are at this school, we're going to rank you. We're going to say you're this, this, and this compared with all these other people. And so my goal, of course, was to take care of number one and everything. 
once again, not for the good of the Air Force. It's, um, it's embarrassing as I, as I share it right now. But not for the good of the Air Force, for good of me. But the Lord has been faithful and gracious, and he continues to try <laughs> to grow me in humility. And, and yet I still had this, this idol, this goal of being a distinguished graduate. And so I was doing pretty well, um, did decent in my papers and um, in classroom, everything like that. And, and um, it's a funny story, but we lived in this one bedroom, little apartment suite type thing with my wife and my three-year-old daughter and my six-month-old son. So imagine we didn't get much sleep uh, the whole six weeks we were there. But I uh, got home from class and I had a couple hours to uh, in the afternoon to um, take a paper I'd already written and I was going to revise it. I probably get, was going to get a B on this paper. And I was, uh, I was pleasantly happy with how I'd done already and everything. And I was so excited. I was going to take the afternoon to, um, to revise it and get an A because I needed to get an A on this paper uh, in order to get DG. So I sit down at the computer at the desk and I'm starting to write and my spirit was just like, you need to go outside and play with your wife and kids on the playground. Um, and Kaylee, of course, had taken the kids outside so I could work on this paper. Um, and so, of course, I'm um, very obedient and I obey God the first time. Not, um, of course not. No. So I, I dismiss the Holy Spirit, which is... I don't recommend that. Uh, So I dismiss it and I start working on the paper and I just get this knot in my chest, in my throat. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I'm like, no, I need to revise this paper or else I'm not going to get an A. And if I don't get an A, I'm not going to be DG. And if I don't become DG, I won't go to school, which is, is like going to this middle management training in the future, getting your master's degree, all these different things. And it sets you up to be a lieutenant colonel and maybe a colonel in general and, and a commander and all the, all the things that I wanted from me, all these um, feathers in my cap. And so I argue with God and I dismiss God again. And um, I sit and I start to revise the paper. And then I just hear it one more time of go out and play with your wife and children. And I just have this real frank conversation with God. And this is, if you're learning how to talk with God or pray, take this as a tutorial. You can just talk to God, just like I'm talking to you right now. And so I just said, God, okay, if I go out and play with my wife and kids right now and turn this paper in like it is, I'm going to get a B and I will not be a distinguished graduate. And if I do that, I am not going to become, I'm not going to go to school and I'm not going to become a commander and I'm not going to become a colonel and general and all the other things that I wanted. And I felt the challenge was, was I going to be obedient? And I said, Lord, Okay. And our humility and our obedience have high cost to us. And because they have high cost to us, they have high value to God. And, um, and just like I think about Abraham offering Isaac on the altar, um, that's what 
I was offering to God right in that moment. I can still picture the room and everything. I'm offering to God my whole future over this one paper. And I'm being a little dramatic, but maybe not. I think maybe I'm, it, it truly, that's, even as I think about it right now, that's truly what I was thinking. And I went outside and I put the ball in God's court and I said, I'm going to go love my wife and my children. And I'm going to trust God that you have my future in your hands. And so I go out and uh, I remember Zion was sitting on a little blanket that Kaylee had put out uh, next to the little playground that was out there. And and Zion was always finding dirt and putting it in his mouth. And, uh, and I remember. And, um, and I had a piece, though. Um, and if you look in Proverbs 3, and so I'm not going to give it all away, but it talks about peace. So when we walk in obedience to God, there is a peace. And it's one of the greatest things that you can have. And when I, when I, when I just said, I'm going to put this in your hands, God, my future, my wife's, my family's future, and I'm going to be obedient to what you called me to do. And I love my wife and my family, what you just like literally told me to do right now. And, um, and when I did that, there was a peace. And so I turned the paper in, I got a B just exactly like I thought. And, um, and I had, had settled in my heart that I was not going to become a distinguished graduate and that I was just going to kind of, um, just be that average officer from that point on. And, uh, at the graduation, um, I didn't know how this was, how they were going to do it, but they, uh, they started reading off all the names of distinguished graduates and they started with the number one distinguished graduate and blah, 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 blah. And they read, you know, there were 530 like some of us there in the auditorium. And all of a sudden they read my name and they read the name of one of my best friends who's just sitting next to me. And, and the Lord, just in that moment, he just gave it back. I gave it all to him and he gave it back to me. And um, I think that's part of the humility is, is, is giving it all to him. So there's anything that's in your life that is an idol, anything that is more important than God, give it to him. And he's not going to always give it back. But in sometimes he does. Go serve someone else. Another way to choose to walk in humility is ask for advice. Uh, I'll write a mission about this at some point, but go, go find that man whom you know is godly and whom you respect and ask him for advice about life. Go sit, just hear his stories. Go sit with his family. Go talk to his wife. Um, if you find a godly man, you're going to find a godly woman there too. And um, in, in almost every case, there's a couple exceptions, but usually they go one and one together. And as we do these things, as we walk in this humility, like I said, there is a favor. And the funny part of that whole story is, guess what? I ended up getting out of the Air Force, the active duty, before I even got to go to school. I never became a commander. I never became a general. I never did any of those things. And so in the big scheme of things, it didn't even really matter that much. But God still knew that 
and 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 he knows knows everything, and he re- re- responded to my obedience, and that wasn't even supposed to be the focus of this whole talk, but that would be the thing I would end on of be obedient, and that's that's just the mission I charge each of each person listening. Whatever the Lord has called you to do today, and maybe this week and this whatever, whatever the Lord has called you to do, whatever He's putting on your heart, if He said. When I said the thing about fast and you're like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Or I need to go serve someone else. I need to get my eyes off of me. Or I need to memorize a passage of scripture or whatever it is, go and do it in obedience to the Lord. Because there is a place that is favor. And there is a place there where you will receive um, life and joy and peace. So this is Zach Miller with the Arrow School for Men. I'm excited. By the time you guys hear this, the uh, website will be up and running. And there's an Ask Zach portion of the website. So I would love for you guys to uh, send me any questions, um, comments, thoughts, anything you want me to talk about or discuss. Um, and also, our, uh, our the email is up and running as well. So it's Zach, Z-A-C-H, at aeroschoolformen.com is... Um, the email address. So thanks again and be obedient to the voice of the Lord. 